Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to see you all. Welcome to everybody who might be online. Um, I also just want to say I thought last weekend was incredible. Um, One thing I just want to make sure we all realized from last weekend is that the folks from Grace of Laverne show up on time, okay? (laughs) Um, Especially Friday night, okay, Good Friday service. I know some of y'all came and you're like, oh, there's no seats and I'm here right when it starts. Well, they get here early, all right? So just so we keep that in mind for future, all right? So... Um, hey, we are, uh, we're ending our, our sermon series that we've been going through uh, through the season of Lent that's called Garden to Garden, and uh, next week we'll start a new series called, I believe we're calling it um, Faces of Faith, uh, we'll be starting next week, but Garden to Garden is this idea that the Bible starts in a garden, right? It starts in the Garden of Eden, God creates this beautiful garden, he puts uh, mankind into it, it's, it is as life is supposed to be. Right, life uh, relationship with God is right. Relationship with each other is right. Relationship with creation is right, and relationship with myself is right in that garden. But because of sin, because of brokenness, you and I have never experienced that life as it was supposed to be. And we experience pain. We experience hurt. We experience all of that. And uh, then there are these images throughout Scripture where the garden pops up at different places, and it's. It's a garden of rest. There's places where it's a garden of renewal or of justice or of, or of ministry and of worship. And we kind of walked through those from Old Testament and New Testament. And then last week, if you were here on Easter Sunday or whatever, we ended or we got to a place where there is a tomb in a garden that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was taken down by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and he was put in a tomb that was in a garden. And it's a beautiful picture, I believe, that death is swallowed up by life, that despair is overcome by hope. But the most important thing about that tomb that is in that garden is that Jesus' body was put in on Friday, and on Sunday it was empty, right? That it is the resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. In his most kind of um, extensive writing about the resurrection, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole chapter is about the resurrection, basically. And he says this in verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead, everything we've said to you is useless, and your faith means nothing. Verse 17 says the same thing again, basically. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. That is how important the resurrection is. And then in verse 20 of that chapter, this is what he says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That Jesus is the first fruits of this resurrection, that he is the first one. 
And he says, in Adam we all die, but in Christ we are all made alive. And again, it's this picture that the resurrection happens in a garden. It happens in a place of flourishing, a place of life. And the resurrection is the beginning of God's new creation in the world. And um, that one day there will be what is said in Scripture, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it all starts with the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, or, or Apostle John, I'm sorry, was given this incredible vision of what this will look like. And he wrote it down, and it's called the book of Revelation. It's the final book of the um, Bible. So the garden imagery starts in the first chapter, basically, of the Bible in Genesis, and it actually finds itself ending in the last chapters of the Bible. In chapter 21, John talks about how there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and he says that this new city, Jerusalem, comes down from heaven to earth. See, so much of our way we think about this is that it is I am going to go someplace where John says, no, what I saw God saying is that actually this new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem come down to us. And he says some incredible things. He says that, there will, that God will dwell with his people face to face, that there will be no more tears, that he'll wipe away every tear, there'll be no more mourning or crying or death or pain that this is what the new earth and new heaven will be like, what we will experience in eternity. And then in chapter 22 of Revelation is where the, the garden theme comes in, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Then the angel showed me, this is John writing, the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Okay, it's such a wild vision, okay? If you read that and look at it, it's, it, it's something beyond, actually, I think, what we can fully understand, right? Um, it's just kind of wild here. Um, it's this picture, again, taking us back to that first creation of the Garden of Eden, and it says even that the tree of life that is in the Garden of Eden is now again here in this new creation. But it says that there's a river that's flowing down the middle of the street, and it's crystal clear. And then it says this wild thing that on either side of this river is the tree of life. And it's hard to imagine, what, is, what does that tree look like? Is it just a a whole bunch of trees on either side? Is it one huge tree or whatever it is? And then he says this. He says that it um, produces fruit every month, and it's a different fruit every month. Now, I have some fruit trees in my backyard. I have a, a lemon tree that we just started. We have a little mandarin orange tree, and I have two avocado trees. And Next to my kids and my wife, I think I like my avocado trees the best of all, I, I think. I mean, I just, I just love these things. Now, now I, we live right next to the, near the Wallaces, and the Wallaces also have an avocado tree, and their avocado tree is maybe a year older than ours, and it produces more fruit than mine does. And I'm constantly checking my 
But for me, here's how we're, I, and this is how, we, this is how we understand fruit to grow, right? Right now, my avocado tree has these little, tiny, little avocados that are on it. And it's going to take well over a, almost over a year, maybe nine months to a year, for those to get to a place where they'll be able to be picked. That's just the way we understand fruit to grow. But this vision that John has says every month the fruit is ready. There's a bounty. It is this sign of abundance. There's just abundance in the eternal life. Again, it's more than we can understand. And then this beautiful statement at the end there, no longer will there be any curse. See, part of the problem, when sin crept in the world, it says that we're now under a curse. And it's why we have weeds that grow up. It's why there's struggles relationally. It's why we don't connect with God very well. There's this curse. And this says the curse is going to be gone. We won't have to deal with that any longer. So in a, in a book that's written by a man named Randy Alcorn, it's called Heaven. He talks about this new heavens and this new earth. And, he, and I pulled out a few of the things he said. This is just a handful of things he said. This is what it's going to be like. And I just want to give you, try to give you a picture of this is what we are looking forward to. So the first thing is this. We are resurrected humankind with new bodies. Now, the older I get, the better that sounds. Okay, right? A new body. Now, here's the wild thing about, about, um, about this. Most of us grew up probably thinking, heaven is going to be someplace again that I go to, that it's just sort of this spirit thing that I'm up there, and, I'm, and if we're really honest, I'm like sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, and just kind of relaxing, and it's like, it's like retirement forever, okay? The truth of the matter is, when we look at the scriptures, we will have bodies. It will be different than the bodies we have right now. If you think about what, when Jesus was resurrected, and it said he's the first fruit, and we're going to follow behind him, that he had an actual body, though it was different, Right? People didn't recognize him at first sometimes. He showed them his wounds in his hands and in his side, so those were there. And yet he could all of a sudden appear through locked doors into a room, or he could be walking along with people and all of a sudden be gone. But he had a body, he ate. So that is time, it's going to be what our bodies are like. It's going to be different. So we'll be resurrected, we'll have new bodies. We will be living with God face to face. There will be no more curse, no shame or potential of shame. Sin is forever removed. Death is forever removed. Unhindered corporate worship forever. But that's not all we're going to be doing. Don't worry, okay? I know for some of us, they're thinking that'd be great. A lot of us are like, I don't want to sing all the time. So ground is fertile. Vegetation thrives. Abundant food and water. Enhanced restfulness. And joy in labor. Mankind learns, creates in wisdom and purity that we will still learn. We're still going to be growing and learning even in the eternal life. And we will have joy in labor. There will be jobs for us to do. But because the curse is gone, there will be great joy in that. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he uh, goes on to kind of try to describe it another way. He says, imagine this. You're invited by a friend to a party. 
and you go to the party and you get there and there's some friends from the neighborhood and maybe a couple co-workers and people you're with and, and you have some pretty good conversations and the, and the appetizers and food is all right and the drink is okay and you're, it's good and the, the music they're playing, you kind of like it all right. You're kind of thinking, you know what, I, this party could be better. He goes, well, maybe if I just stick around a little bit longer, the party will get better and maybe some more fun, funner people will show up or something like that and just kind of hang out. But then your friend says, nope, you know what, it's time to go. You're like, well, really, we got to go? Yeah, you got to go. You get in the car, you drive back to your house, your friend drops you off, hey, good to be with you. You go up to the door. You put your key in the door, and you open the door, and then you kind of get this sense, uh-oh, somebody's in my house. And you reach for the light, and you turn, hit the light thing, and the lights go on, and it's, surprise! The party is for you, and everybody you love is there. The food is everything you want. It's like ribs and pecan pie. <laughs> it's everything you want. You have these incredible conversations with people. The music is everything. It's your best. You know, they're playing U2 and Bruce Springsteen for me, right? <laughs> I mean, it's what, it is every. And this is the party that is for you. And then throughout the rest of the night, people that were at the other party start showing up at this party for you. Because that's what heaven is like. He says, heaven is like a party that is just for you. With all the people you love, all the people you want to be with, it's, it is what is for you. He ends that by writing this. He says, to be in resurrected bodies, in a resurrected earth, in resurrected friendships, enjoying a resurrected culture, with resurrected Jesus, now that will be the ultimate party. That that is what we're looking for. That that is what eternity is like. That's what the new heavens and new earth will be like. And we should yearn for that. Right? We, we, we know that we're missing something here on earth. That the party we're in right now just isn't quite what it's supposed to be. That there's something better. There's something more. And it makes sense. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's what we know we're for. We've been created for that. We've been created for that. And he says, Then we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That our citizenship is in heaven, we're here on earth now, and we're waiting for when he will transform us into being like him in heaven. And we yearn for that. And so in essence, in this new heavens and new earth, my, every, my relationship with God will be right, relationships with one another will be right, relationship with creation, and relationships with myself will be right. And this is what it's like to be in the age to come what we're looking forward to. But then the question is, why does that matter? What does it matter what I think about what the future is going to be like, what, the, what eternity is going to be like, what heaven's going to be like? How does that actually make a difference here and now? And so I thought of this illustration, and I hope it works, and I hope it's right, and not like sacrilegious or anything. So here we go. How's that for an opening for an illustration? <laughs> So we've all grown really accustomed to getting anywhere by using our phone. 
right? If, you, if you're going someplace, you're not sure where you're going, you put the address in on your maps or ways or whatever, and, you, and it gets you there. There you go. There you go. See, someone's doing it right now. Um, but what, I've, what Nancy and I have learned is this. It is super important that you put the right address in on where you're going. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever run into this. I remember one time we were in Seattle visiting Sarah, and we were at Seattle Pacific, and we needed to get up to Shoreline, where we're staying with some friends. We put the address in the phone, and we're following the directions to where it's telling us to go, and I'm driving, and I go, this doesn't feel right, but I'm going to trust the directions, okay? And sure enough, we end up, and we, we're in some place, and it's like a mini market, okay? And we, we're not staying at a mini market. And then we look at the address, and in Seattle, so weird anyways to drive in, but, you know, if you put in, like, east something and supposed to west something, you're going to end up in the wrong place. So we were supposed to go to west, and we put in east and all that. So here's the thing. Now I think it makes a difference for us. We have to know where we're going. And we have to know what it's going to be like and the truth of what eternity is going to be because then it affects how we actually live and navigate in this life. If we have a false view of where we're going and what eternity is, then our life will be very different than someone if we have the right view of what eternity is. So there are many people, people we love, people we know that believe there's no afterlife. This is all we get. This is all it is. And if that's what they put into their GPS for life, then they're going to live life very differently than someone who believes there is eternity. If those of us that believe there is eternity believe, hey, you know what eternity is? It's just that, um, hey, I am just a spirit, and I'm off, and I'm out of here, and it really doesn't matter how I live here on earth because everything's going to be totally different and all that, then we live our life differently. But if we think of eternity and the new heavens and the new earth as a place, as, as it's been described in the scriptures, as a place of flourishing, an actual place we will be at, a place where there will be work to be done, that our bodies matter when we are there, then we will live life differently. That's why it's so important to know what is heaven going to be? Because it influences and affects how I live now. So here's the question for us today. So how should we live? What, what really is God in, desiring of us? If he has created this whole thing as, uh, from a garden to a garden, and it's all about flourishing, it's all about fruit, it's all about beauty, it's all about growing. How do I live today? What am I supposed to do? And I think that Jesus gives us a really good picture of what God wants from us. In John chapter 15, which again is this incredible chapter that talks about a lot of what we're talking about today, he says this, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He wants us to be people that bear fruit. He wants us to be people that know that that's what my future is going to be, and I'm going to start living it now. I'm going to be a person that bears fruit. That's what gardens are for. For beauty 
and for fruit. And God desires that we would live lives that are beautiful and live lives that bear fruit because it's a reflection of our life to come. Now, here's the other truth. Oftentimes, beauty comes out of difficulty and struggle. Right? I mean, it'd be nice to think that, gosh, I, I, I know where I'm going, I know where heaven is, and I put that into my life GPA, sort of, not GPA, GPS thing, and, 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 my, and my life is just beautiful all the way. And it's just kind of always getting better, better, better all the time. But the truth of the matter is sometimes, well, the truth of the matter is sometimes I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And so I get off track. I even do this when we're driving, like just in natural. It'll tell me to turn right, and I'm like, no, that's not right, I'm turning left. Where it tells me, turn on this street, and I can't read the name of the street, and so I don't turn. But life is like that too, just in general, right? We don't always make the right choices. And so, so much of the beauty that we experience is because we've experienced difficulty and struggle. And, and, and we understand this. I mean, just nature understands this, right? Diamonds are formed when um, carbon deposits deep within the earth are subjected to these high temperatures and pressure. And that's what creates diamonds. And so some of the beauty in our life is formed that way. But God desires for us to produce fruit. And again, just to give us a picture of this is what this could look like in our lives, Apostle Paul gives us a picture of here's what life in the Spirit is like. He says in Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That these are the qualities in your life that are fruitful. And it, and it begins when we say, okay, Spirit, lead me and guide me. Do your work in me that I might be the person you want me to be. And, and these are the qualities that God wants to produce in us. And, and here's, the, here's the, uh, the hard truth of this scripture. You don't get to choose. Okay, Lord, you know what? I'd really like peace, but you know what? Self-control, not so much. Or you know what? I'll take that joy, but gentleness, no. It's all a part of what God is doing this is all the fruit that God wants to grow in us. And I just want to tell you that you can experience that type of life. When, when we subject ourselves and give ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, have your way with me and produce in me the type of fruit that you know I will have in eternity, this is what God wants to do. And then the second type of fruit that he wants to do uh, is that he wants you to make a difference in other people's lives. Matthew 8, Jesus looks at the crowds and it says he has compassion on them because they were harassed and lost like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He looked at the harvest field, again, another image of a garden or whatever, and said, hey, it's time to harvest, but we need more workers. And Jesus said, then pray for workers. 
So I would encourage all of you to pray that there will be people who will be sent out into the world to make a difference. And then probably what will happen as you're praying, you'll get a tap on your shoulder by the Lord and he'll say, okay, go. Be that person at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood, who helps others come to know Jesus, who helps others come to know what life is really all about, that there is this incredible hope that we're holding on to in eternity, but that we can live that type of life right now. So here's what C.S. Lewis says this. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, for heaven, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Let's help others do the same. Help me never forget where you're leading me, Lord, what the future is, what eternity holds for me. But let me to live such a life right now that I bear fruit in my own life and for others. So yes, one day we will be in heaven. One day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. It is going to be incredible. And I believe what God wants us to do is to take a hold of that now and live in such a way that we experience fruitful, abundant, beautiful lives right now in the midst of his world. I want to leave us with one final chapter that for this whole series of Garden to Garden, and it comes from Jeremiah 17. And here's what the prophet writes. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Because there are going to be days that are really difficult. There will be times that are uh, droughts. There will be time where we just feel like the heat is bearing down on us. And what the prophet says is, put your confidence in God. Put your confidence in him. Trust in him. And then you will be able to get through those difficult times, and you will always bear fruit. You'll bear fruit in your own life. You'll bear fruit in your family, your friendships at work, wherever you find yourself, you will always be able to bear fruit. Garden to garden, our Lord is always with us. Put your confidence in him. Let me pray for us. The Lord, it's difficult to do this sometimes. It's difficult to uh, trust you. So I pray that in the midst of days where we feel that there's pressure and difficulty and struggle, that we will be reminded that you have created and that we will experience a new heavens and a new earth, and that, Lord, even now you call us to be people who 
live that way. Help us to put our confidence in you. Help us to trust you. And may, Lord, our roots go deep so that we have that living water that breathes life into us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.